On God Said, Man Said, there is a series titled 21 Signs of Doomsday, and this feature is number 19. It's shocking when you discover the level of biblical ignorance amongst the church. So many are unaware, willingly ignorant, of the soon-coming great taking up of the church to meet Jesus Christ in the clouds and the signs of impending doom. Of the great taking up, commonly called the rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 through 18 reads, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The day and the hour of Christ's return for the church, no man, nor angel, nor Christ himself knows, only the Father. Jesus said in Mark chapter thirteen twenty-eight through 33, Now learn a parable of the fig tree, when her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the doors. Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. The day and hour is not known, but the signs of his coming tell us the time is nigh, even at the doors. Believers must be prepared for departure. Are you ready? Have you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, repented of your sins, and committed yourself to the Lord of glory? Have you been born again? Today is your day of salvation. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said in Zechariah chapter 13 and 14, And it shall come to pass that in all the lands, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, It is my people. And they shall say, The Lord is my God. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. And thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken. And the houses rifled. And the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity. And the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Man said, These foolish doomsday prophets make me laugh. There is no end to this world, and certainly no judgment day. Now the record. The central key to the end of the world's systems and governments is the small nation of Israel. The entire focus of the entire battle of Armageddon is the world's demonic desire to destroy the Hebrew people, the seed of Abraham, who, according to the passage in Zechariah quoted above, will be besieged by all the nations of the world. Two-thirds, 
0.666 of the Jewish people will be destroyed in this battle. The remaining Jews will finally be forced to take up battle positions in the city of Jerusalem. Half of the city will fall to the global forces, and the remaining one-third of the Jews hold up in the other half of the city, awaiting their imminent and certain annihilation. The nations of the earth will prepare to take a prey, but unbeknownst to them, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the mighty Christ himself, will stand to deliver. Why such focus on such a small piece of real estate, and why such hatred for such a small part of the earth's population. The reason is relatively simple. God made a covenant with a man named Abraham, who is known in the scriptures as the father of all them that believe. Abraham was the father of Isaac, who was his second son, with whom God said he would establish the covenant. Keep in mind that the seed of faith which was in faithful Abraham was Christ. Abraham's first son, Ishmael, born of the Egyptian Hagar, was disinherited from the covenant of promise. Heavy bitterness formed between the offspring of Isaac and the children of Ishmael. Muslims call themselves Ishmaelites. Now, the children of Abraham are those whose faith is in Christ Jesus. The present Jewish leadership, by biblical definition, is Antichrist. But the Scriptures declare that their blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Finally, at the horrendous battle of Armageddon, the remaining Jewish people will repent of their sins and embrace Jesus Christ, their Messiah, the King of the Jews. Why such focus on such a small piece of real estate, and why such hatred for such a small part of the earth's population? Because God's seal is upon Israel, and when God says yes, the servants of Satan, the little G-O-D of this earth, shout no. God hangs his hat in Israel. There are no peace talks that will bring any permanent peace to Israel. When they think of peace, the contrary will result. First Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 3. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. The Ishmaelites will only be satisfied with blood. The following excerpt is from the May 24 to June 4, 2009 issue of the International Jerusalem Post. In the Pew Global Attitudes Project's uh, Spring 2007 survey, Palestinian residents still said by 77 to 16 percent they felt that the rights and needs of the Palestinian people cannot be taken care of as long as the state of Israel exists. End of quote. Israel is incrementally being isolated to bring about Armageddon. All the nations will gather against her. The world already has the mechanisms, the United Nations and its armies, and organizations such as NATO and the World Bank, etc., to bring the earth's entire congregation of nations down upon the children of Israel. The following three sets of excerpts are from the November 2010's issue of the International Jerusalem Post. November 5 through 11, under the heading, The Scott Brown Precedent and Israel, with the subhead, We can expect President Obama to devote far more energy to foreign affairs in the next two years than he devoted in the last two years. This does not bode well for Israel. 
This bodes ill for Israel. Since entering office, Obama has shown that his primary foreign policy goal is to remake the U.S.'s relationship with the Muslim world. He has also repeatedly demonstrated that compelling Israel to make concessions to the Palestinians and empowering international institutions that seek to uh, delegitimize Israel are his preferred means of advancing this goal. To date, Obama's demands on Israel have focused on blocking construction and delegitimizing Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria and Jewish neighborhoods in Jerusalem. And as far as he is concerned, Israel's response to his demands to date has been unsatisfactory. In light of this, at a minimum, we can expect that in the immediate aftermath of next Tuesday's elections, Obama will deliberately provoke a new crisis in Israel relations with Israel over Jewish building in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But of course, this isn't, uh, this isn't his only option. Indeed, he has nearly unlimited options for making life unpleasant for Israel. Obama doesn't even have to be the one to provoke the next crisis. He can simply take advantage of crises that the Palestinians provoke. The Palestinians are threatening to provoke two such crises in the next several months. First, Palestinian Authority Chairman Mahmoud Abbas is threatening to ask the U.N. Security Council to pass a resolution declaring all Israeli communities beyond the 1949 armistice lines illegal and requiring the expulsion of the 450,000 Israeli Jews who live in them. Second, the PAs, that stands for Palestinian Authority, unelected Prime Minister Salam Fayyad is threatening to declare independence without a treaty with Israel next summer. Simply by not opposing these deeply aggressive initiatives against Israel, Obama can cause Israel enormous harm. Other outlets for pressure, including stepping up the harassment of pro-Israeli groups in the U.S., holding up the transfer of arms to Israel, pressing for the IDF to end its counter-terror operations in Judea and Samaria, and expanding U.S. financial and military support for the Palestinian army. All of these moves will doubtless be employed by varying degrees in the next two years. Obama's hostility demonstrates clearly that Israel must not be dependent on U.S. resupply of military platforms in time of war, end of quote. Now from the Jerusalem Post, November 12 through 18, under the heading, We Are Not For Sale. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is playing with fire, and Israel is getting burned. Over the past week, it has been widely reported that the Obama administration and the Netanyahu government are conducting secret negotiations regarding future Israeli land surrenders to the Palestinians in the Jordan Valley and Jerusalem. According to the reports, the Obama administration has presented Netanyahu with a plan whereby Israel will cede its rights to eastern Jerusalem and the Jordan Valley to the Palestinians and then lease the areas from the Palestinians for a limited period. The reports on the length of the lease vary. Some claim that the White House is offering a seven-year rental. Others claim the Americans are offering Israel leases for Jerusalem and the Jordan Valley for several decades before it relinquishes them completely. Netanyahu has reportedly accepted Obama's proposal in principle. The only remaining dispute is the length of the lease. Netanyahu is demanding that Israel be permitted to lease Jerusalem and the Jordan Valley from the Palestinians for somewhere between 40 and 99 years. The Americans foresee a shorter time frame.
None of Israel's neighbors has accepted Israel's rights to exist. The absolute majority of the Arabs in all of the states neighboring Israel wish to see Israel destroyed. By relinquishing the Jordan Valley, Israel would be committing national suicide. By inviting an invasion, it would be incapable of staving off. The very notion that Israel ought to ever surrender control over the Jordan Valley is egregious and unacceptable. And by proposing that Israel do so, the Obama administration is destroying the last vestiges of its credibility as an ally to the Jewish state. But that is not the worst aspect of the reported U.S. proposal to Israel. The worst aspect of the U.S. proposal is that it calls for Israel to cede Jerusalem and the Jordan Valley to the Palestinians and then lease them from the Palestinians. Speaking to Army Radio, Science Minister Daniel Hershowitz explained, If we agree to the offer, we will be broadcasting to the Palestinians that the land is actually theirs. Netanyahu knows full well that Israel cannot survive without the Jordan Valley. He also knows that the land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people and that we are the rightful owners of this land. So what explains his actions? And acting as he is, Netanyahu, Netanyahu is clearly trying to avert yet another crisis with the Obama administration. No doubt he believes that the Palestinians will save the day again by refusing to make a deal with Israel. Just as the Palestinians refuse to accept Israel's right to exist, just as they refuse to give up on their demand that Israel destroy itself by accepting millions of foreign-born Arabs as full citizens in the framework of a peace agreement, and just as they refuse to accept any limitations on the sovereignty of future Palestinian state, so Netanyahu believes they will refuse to lease the Jordan Valley and Jerusalem to Israel for 40 or 99 years. Netanyahu may be right to think this. The Palestinians may reject the deal but he is taking an enormous risk, end of quote. This is from the third week in November, November 1925, in the International Jerusalem Post, under the heading, What the PA, that stands for Palestinian Authority, buys with American money. Despite his campaign to boycott Israel and punish Palestinians with economic ties to the Jewish state, Fayyad is the U.S.'s favorite Palestinian. Since PA President Mahmoud Abbas appointed Fayyad to lead the Rump Fada government in Judea and Samaria over after Hamas uh, took over the Gaza Strip, USA to the Palestinian Authority has increased by more than 700%. Most of this aid has gone to propping up Fayyad. The U.S. directly finances his budget. It funds and trains the Palestinian military and it subsidizes his programs to build governmental institutions that loyally carry out his anti-Israel policies. Last Wednesday, during a joint press conference with Fayyad, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton announced the U.S. will give the Palestinian Authority an additional $150 million in aid to supplement the $400 million in financial assistance that President Barack Obama pledged in June. This supplement comes in response to Fayad's claim that he needs $500 million to close his budget shortfall. According to the Congressional Research Service, the Palestinian Authority is the largest recipient of foreign assistance in the world. According to Bloomberg, it received $1.2 billion in 2009 and will receive $1.8 billion by the end of this year. 
The U.S. provided the Palestinian Authority with $500.9 million in 2009, and before Clinton's announcement was scheduled to provide it with $550 million in 2011. This assistance does not include U.S. financial support for UNRWA, an agency devoted exclusively to providing welfare benefits to Palestinians while uh, uh, subordinating itself to a Palestinian political agenda. The U.S. is the single largest donor to uh, ARNWA. Last year, the $268 million U.S. taxpayers gave the U.N. agency constituted 27% of ARNWA's budget. Take U.S. security assistance to the Palestinians. The U.S. responded to the Hamas takeover in Gaza by massively increasing its military assistance to Fatah. According to the CRS, between 2007 and August 2010, U.S. assistance to the Palestinian Authority Security Services totaled $400 million. They received $100 million in 2010 and are set to receive $150 million in 2011. This assistance has paid for the training and outfitting of 400 presidential guards and 2,700 soldiers in the national security forces. The U.S. plans to train five additional 500-man NSF battalions. Indeed, there is little reason to believe that that these U.S. trained forces will not join forces with Hamas and turn their guns on Israel in the future. Since 1996, Palestinian Authority Security Services have taken a leading role in the terror war against Israel. Concerned about the threat these forces pose, particularly in light of Fayyad's rejection of Israel's right to exist earlier this year, OC Central Command Major General Avi Meri warned that these U.S.-trained forces constitute a qualitative jump in the Palestinian warfighting capabilities against Israel, end of quote. The Ishmaelites have an opportunity like never before. For the next two years, the window of opportunity is wide open. Soon all the nations will converge upon the tiny nation of Israel, the seed of Abraham, to take a prey. But unbeknownst to them, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will stand to deliver. It's beginning to reign. God said, Zechariah chapter 13 and 14, and it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say it is my people, and they shall say the Lord is my God. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. 
Man said, these foolish doomsday prophets make me laugh. There is no end to this world and certainly no judgment day. Now you have the record.